You're listening to Food Trucks in Babylon, a Western Seminary podcast with Dr. Todd Miles and Dr. Patrick Schreiner. Listen as they discuss matters of faith, theology, and culture in a post-Christian world. Hey, this is Patrick, and Todd has abandoned me, so we don't have Todd with us today, but we do have a special guest with us. John Mark Comer is here. He's a local pastor at Bridgetown Church. John, great and to have Western you here. And Western grad, proud And to say. Western grad, that's right. You took yeah. all your classes with Maybe Tim. Maybe you're embarrassed to admit, but... Gary, no, definitely not. I was here how long? How long have you been at Bridgetown Church? Um, that's, a, that's a simple question with a complex answer, because we started as the location of another church. Mm-hmm. So I've worked for the same church, basically, that I helped plant 16 years ago. Okay, 16 yeah, years ago. Yeah, so Bridgetown ago. isn't wow. quite that old, because it started about nine years in. So how old were you um, So Bridgetown is coming up on, well, not nine years in. Bridgetown turns 10 this yeah. January. Okay. So 10 years, awesome. 16 years. And 10 years, is that when you became like your own campus? Is that what you're saying? Yes, uh-huh, exactly. Yeah. So we okay. started out in the suburbs um, 16 years ago, then planted a kind of, we didn't use the language campus, but location, whatever, multi-site kind of thing. Yeah. And then um, as our ecclesiology continued to kind of adapt and evolve mm-hmm. and we became more and more convicted of the local and um, less and less interested in kind of brand or franchise yeah. kind of, maybe that's too cynical of a way to say it. I don't mean that in an angsty way. We just really mm-hmm. came to believe in the local. Yeah. And so we eventually went autonomous as through about three or four churches at that point. And we just, all of them has gone, have gone autonomous. They're all still around that's kicking, great. doing great. That's great. And, um, and I, I ended up with the one in the city, which is the always, one downtown, always, yeah, right? always been my heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you guys, we just bought a building, just bought a building. Yeah. yeah. Right over the river on inner East side. That's great. And uh, we'll keep a gathering downtown at night. Okay. But we already do mornings over on the East side. Oh, you do? So we'll move to kind of a couple gatherings in that's the morning. That's great. And, did you have to do reno, a bunch of reno for that? Yeah, we're right in the middle of it. I had a meeting this morning, hard hat on with the project manager. We're nice. right in the middle of like doing theology of gender and sexuality and like picking out baseboards. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. That's my job right now. But you can meet there. Uh, you can, totally can meet no, there. No, no, no. It's it, oh, our, our office not. is all kicked out. Yeah, there's okay. nothing there. It's a construction zone right now. Gotcha. It's a 1955 church building, beautiful building, great bones, but yep. you know, Typical kind of built in 1955 and been on a shoestring budget since, and they haven't done all the upkeep yeah. required. So it was a pretty extensive renovation. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, for our listeners, all, all two of them out there, I would uh, commend your podcast, This Cultural Moment. Oh, thank I've you. loved that. That's been so good. You and Mark Sayers just Thanks. go at it with just got sociology. Off the phone with them right now. Oh, really? Yeah. That's great. It's, yeah, we're, it's we're been so. scheming for whatever to do next. I love that podcast. It's so helpful. Oh, so thank you. if you're listening, yeah. you should definitely check that out. It's a great podcast on. Kind of post-Christian mm-hmm. sociology, Cultural what's going on. Yeah, yep. it's a big part of our story, just learning how, you know, starting out as a Bible teacher and then realizing people have already been so formed by cultural narratives and assumptions. Yeah. Right. You know, we were just having a chat in our elders meeting a couple hours ago around biblical authority. We're doing a practice around scripture in a couple mm-hmm. couple weeks and sexuality and gender in particular, thinking about that. And so few millennial people, at least in a city like this, have a framework for biblical authority, much right. less a robust and healthy and positive one. Yeah. And it's so like people's, you know, inner barometer of morality is really based around internal intuition, feel, right. you know what I mean? Right. What I think and feel and want. And uh, they've been so formed. And so if you don't do some of that pre-work of the cultural exegesis before you get to the biblical exegesis, it's like you're almost, it falls on deaf ears to a certain extent. So that's really where that came from. That's great. I think it's, it was in that podcast. This is where I kind of want to begin. I think you all, maybe this is you all, maybe this is someone else. So tell me if you never said this. I'll take credit for it if it's smart (laughs) and tonight, if it sounds lame. So I feel like someone identified kind of movements of the church in the past uh, 40 years or something like that, maybe 50 years. But you had kind of the attractional model, Bill mm-hmm. Hybels, right, Southern California. Yeah. You had the kind of missional movement, yep. which we're still we're kind of in, of right? So Tim, maybe Tim Keller, I, who else would you associate with missional movement? Yeah, I don't know that I would even put him in there, though. He's such a good thinker. But yeah, I think like the Verge crew down in mm-hmm. Austin mm-hmm. and, you know, Alan Hirsch was a big thinker yep. leader in that. And um, a couple of those, uh, Jeff Vanderstelt up here. Jeff Vanderstelt, yep, that was the other one. Northwest, Somo. yeah. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Those guys are Verge, um, you know, Mike Breen from England was a big leader right. early on. 
And we were just talking about, I was just kind of noting what you've been doing is at your church, you've started kind of a four-year practices, spiritual yeah, formation. formation. Mm-hmm. Do you view that as uh, coming on kind of the tail end of that missional thing, movement? Uh, how, are, how are you situating that? Is that a, a new like emphasis? Why are you emphasizing yeah. that? Is this... I have a bunch of questions in here. Yeah, but post-Christian yeah. culture is this, you're just looking at your church, this is what they need now, this is what, how are you thinking through, yeah. like, why are you moving that direction? Attempting to contextualize, yeah, I mean, I, gosh, how to, how to simplify that story. I came up in mega church culture, so it's all mm-hmm. I've ever known. West Coast yeah. was in one of the first mega churches in the West Coast, is what I was born into. And is that kind of the attractional? Yes, very much, and, yeah. and with that, the attractional model. And it was never like, you know, free iPod giveaways, mm-hmm. you know, if you right. bring your friend to Easter. <laughs> Not that kind of attractional. Yeah. But it was attractional in the sense that Sunday church was defined as the Sunday event. Right. Less churchy as possible, kind yes. of. Like, mm-hmm. don't make it too stodgy. Yes, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one, I remember reading years ago, one definition of attractional or megachurch, and people often use those interchangeably, though they're not necessarily, but was the trifecta of Mm Sunday-centric, personality-driven, and Mm -hmm. consumer-oriented programming. Okay. Sunday-centric, meaning somebody asks you, hey, you know, Patrick, tell me about your church. Right. You instantly start talking about Sunday morning. Yep. Um, Personality-centric, you talk Mm -hmm. about the, it doesn't have to be the pastor, it could be the worship leader or the whatever. Big personality. Yes. And consumer-oriented programming that's a cynical way of saying young moms group and right. college group and young right. professionals group and kind of felt need kind yeah. of affinity based way Serving of all doing these church. Yeah. People. And again, yeah. that, that can yeah. be a really cynical kind of frame of it. Right. But that basic thing, which if you think about it, that applies to churches of 20,000 and down to churches of 20, you know, um, I know a lot of, 80-person churches that are Sunday-centric, personality-driven, and consumer-oriented programming. They're just maybe not as well done as Hillsong or whatever, but it's really the same mindset, you know? Right, right. So I always joke, because I know a lot of 200-person megachurches, you know, and just, and that's the framework. And again, I don't mean that even a judgmental or condescending way at all, but I came up in that, and then, yeah, I mean, I got kind of sucked into the whole missional thing. I bought the, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid kind of thing. As you Mm -hmm. begin to realize that older, attractional way of doing church, that works so well in the, let's just call it the Billy Graham era. My dad came to faith in that. He came yeah, to, right, he was exactly. playing at a, at a yep. California rock band, no Christian background. A friend invited him to a Billy Graham crusade. Right. He came, he came down at the end of a 40 minute talk. That yep. was enough. He had enough of a framework for Jesus. And then he got involved. Then a friend invited him to a local church and he's, and he came to the local church and he's right. a pastor and he's an incredible man. Yeah. That cultural moment is kind of, gone for most people. People's framework is so far gone, you know? So that older model of invite your friends to church is kind of how we do evangelism. It's not a bad model. It's just that it's increasingly less and less effective, you know, in a Portland with millennials. People are so, we're running alpha now is the primary way to do evangelism, partially just because it gives you 10 weeks of eating Mm -hmm. food together to actually let people, and often people go through it multiple times before they Mm -hmm. come to faith Mm -hmm. in Jesus, you know, because it's just so much farther and there's so much more worldview. And it does depend on your region somewhat. I've I've noticed. 100%. Talking to, to people who aren't in inner city Portland. Absolutely. If you're out more and... I mean, in different regions in the South Absolutely. and the Midwest. Well, region and generation. Mm-hmm. I think there's a That's misconception. True. Like, yeah. I don't do much work in the South. But one thing I've experienced, you know, doing that podcast with Mark, uh, which is so funny. I'm, I'm not the expert. I'm like the interviewer. I'm like the middle of the bell curve IQ who's just attempting to interpret the savant that is Mark Sayers <laughs> for the rest of us in the middle of the I've bell curve. I've never heard of him before you started Yeah, and that was him. one of the reasons I did it. I'm like, hey. You're like, people must know about people this People must know about this man. They must... <laughs> Get inside of his mind, and That's I must right. help interpret his yeah. mind um, for the rest of us that aren't genius. And he is, like, a, literally a yeah. genius. Um, and so, but it's so funny. Now I'm, like, the post-Christian experts. <laughs> I'm like, I just ask questions. Well, you both are great at cultural exegesis, well, so that, that's great. You're very gracious. Yeah. My point is, you know, I get asked to talk about it, or in, and I'll be in these contexts, and I'm not in the South a lot, but when I am, I get asked a lot of questions about post-Christian culture. Mm-hmm. And it's this a fascinating phenomenon that I've just seen on repeat so often with so many leaders is the kind of 40 and over, that's a bit of an arbitrary number, let's mm-hmm. just say that a little bit older leaders yeah. will come up to me and say, yeah, we're not here, that's a Portland thing or a New York thing, uh, not here in the South, and then all the youth pastors will come up to me. Yeah, And, and they will lovingly say, 
everybody under 25 is totally there. We're losing yeah. an entire generation. Yeah. But the older leaders, and they say it respectfully, it's an honor mm-hmm. culture. Right. They don't see it. Yeah. Because if you have a church of 5,000 people, attendance is still great, giving is still mm-hmm. great, people still love what's happening, go yeah. Trump or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? You can keep trucking. Yeah. But, and it's easy to forget, oh, mm-hmm. wow, we might have just lost a whole, because the reality is the phone has brought inner city Portland, New York. You used to have to go to Manhattan or San Francisco or Portland or Seattle, and you'd have to actually move into the city and to get all of those cultural narratives. And now all you have to do is check Instagram in the morning. And And it's just direct fee. You can be in rural Alabama in a super conservative church, and you're getting all of the content and the digital algorithm of the, the progressive vision, the secular vision, whatever it is. Do you think this is new with culture moving so fast that there's kind of a split in generations of how things are moving so quickly? Does, does that make sense? Yeah, like I mean, previous it, generations, do you think, and I don't mean a split in a bad way, but that there was such a wide divide between. Yeah, and change was way less gradual. Yeah. Like even, you yeah. know, because I'm, I'm this weird kind of, uh, you know, I'm, my, I'm 1980, so I, I can claim Gen X or millennial based on who I'm with. Right. right. <laughs> you know, whoever I want to <laughs> sound the coolest to. And so it's interesting. I, I'm old enough that I remember a pre phone world. Right. And I'm old enough that I lived through the whole, like, you know, church within a church, college ministry thing where, like, church wasn't adapting. And so you had to, like, do, and where rock music for worship was, like, a big deal and, like, right. lighting candles. And now nobody even remotely cares. But that was, like, a thing. I mean, mm-hmm. to be, when I started, to be, like, literally on the, forward edge of like mm-hmm. church innovation like you just played like delirious songs <laughs> lit candles and wore jeans and it was like oh my gosh this guy's so cool <laughs> the bar was set so low right. you know at, and, and now it's like nobody even notices yeah, much right, less cares right. you know and how much has changed and it wasn't that long ago you know 15 20 years so i think but even then that would still be pretty radical at the southern seminary chapel for all, right. all my southern seminary listeners so, okay so okay. see candles i've never, I've never jeans, been i don't you know, know yeah that's you gotta wear a suit there still. emergent nonsense <laughs> you know what can i say um but I, I think the point is even then i remember realizing this is a ma- there was a massive generational problem then and this is before phone before all the you know, critical gender theory stuff hit. Um, Before all of that, I I just think there's been this enormous speed up in cultural Mm. change, you know, that if you think about a couple hundred years ago, you wore the same clothes as your grandfather, you listened to the same music as your grandfather, he listened to Bach, you listened to Bach. You read the same books, you were exposed to basically the same idea, like change was so gradual and incremental over generations. And so now it's like every two or three years. I mean, even I'm just thinking about the gender conversation. It is so, we're having all sorts of conversations and we're changing our plan. Our oldest is going to go into high school next year and we're realizing we can't put them in the Portland Public School for all sorts of, because it's just like the the ideology has gone crazy over the last mm-hmm. few years. Mm-hmm. With I say that with respect, but I mean, it, it's, it's gone from education to full-on indoctrination. And it's so fast. Things that yeah. were literally five years ago were like, right. oh, I'll be fine. Yep. And now you're like, no, that's right. That's brainwashing ship level, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, I, all that's a long way of saying yes. I think, <laughs> I think, and that's one of the things that makes ministry so challenging <clears throat> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is the people that are older and wiser right. and have the wisdom experience are often so culturally out of touch because mm-hmm. everything's changing so fast. Yeah. And so the, the Tim Kellers and Ronald Rollheisers of the world are so rare. These like older 60, 70 something yeah, right. leaders that are conservative, orthodox, whatever. Speaking to the culture. Yeah, but that are, I mean, I yeah. read Keller's latest book, you know, Making Sense of God or whatever. And it's, I mean, so culturally up yeah, to date. I mean, right. I'm learning. I'm a 30 something year old in Portland. Right. And he's better attuned than I am. Well, he probably has four people working for him doing research. <laughs> but I'll just yeah. tell myself that to feel better about right. my lack right. of content and yeah. as a writer. But um, it's so up to date. But the people like that, I just feel are, the Kellers of the world are so rare. Yeah. Yeah. So you move from attractional to kind yes, of missional. To a missional thing. How, how do you, is that like uh, transform the city type? Yeah. A and little that, bit? Yeah. That was like getting off, a big part of it was getting off Sundays as the main centric yeah, and kind of right. getting to home communities, yeah. which is still mm-hmm. very much a thing for us. Right. And then moving from kind of invite your friends to church, that attractional sense to like send people out to take their right. job seriously, career seriously, social yeah. justice seriously, you know, evangelism done through hospitality around tables and neighbors, that kind of stuff. And I think it was the right idea if you're sitting in front of a whiteboard and you're just like brainstorming. Right. It's great. Mm-hmm. In real life, it runs into all sorts of issues. And the main issues are just discipleship issues. If you send out people that have yet to be 
I don't know what the right language is, but spiritually formed yeah. into some modicum of maturity in Christ-likeness. Um, you are, you're just sending, you're sending people out and the cultural gravity is so overwhelming and strong yeah, I get what you're, yeah. that mm-hmm. people end up more influenced than influencer, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's the whole, a bunch of the work I've you're done with sending them out into yes. a battlefield that they're not prepared yep. to step And that's into. the post-Christian culture thing, you know, like the great threat, you know, one of the things that I've done with Mark and that is, is just through him, attempt to explain Philip Reap's paradigm yeah. of first culture, second culture, third culture, yeah, yeah, or yeah. pre-Christian culture, Christian culture, post-Christian culture. Right. And basic nutshell is if you're coming from a Christian culture to a pre-Christian culture, so say you're a missionary from Victorian England to what we now call Zimbabwe, the great threat is that you colonize the culture. You know, so you come right. and you bring with you not just the gospel of Jesus, but you bring whiteness and you bring English hymns and dressing up in suit and ties for people that are on the equator. Right. 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 The, it, but if you're coming from a Christianized culture to a post-Christian culture, you're coming from Western Seminary to Portland, Oregon, right? Um, to plant a church or work at a church or whatever, then the threat is the exact opposite. It's that right. you're colonized by the culture. Exactly. That's the yeah. great threat. No, the, the, nobody's worried about Portlanders like all singing Hillsong too much and not yeah. really meaning it. You right. know, the threat is how, how do you just? I mean, I feel like it's it's daily spiritual warfare if you want to use that language just to stay a Christian in yeah. the city, right, right. much less like take ground for the kingdom of God, just yeah. to like keep my faith. Right. It feels like right. a part-time job yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. because there's yeah. just such spiritual opposition in mm. the city. And so so that, that brought us into spiritual formation. That brought you into yeah. spiritual and we formation. just realized, man, there's been a massive generational shift where, you know, with a, with a previous generation, I could make a set of assumptions. I could assume that they had some kind of a rule of life. They might not know what that language meant mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. would have used that language, but they had some kind of a, a way that they followed Jesus. They right. probably had a healthy relationship with the Bible at some level. Maybe they read through the Bible in a year, or the right. kind of slacker people did the Old Testament in two years, right. you know? Right. And they, they probably, believed in its authority probably, in some way. Yes, they probably saw the yeah. Bible as an aid to faith rather mm-hmm. than a stumbling block to faith. Mm-hmm. They probably read the book of Jericho, you know, the book of Joshua, Sorry, not Book of Jericho. I know. I did go to seminary. <laughs> Is this what Gary taught you? The Book you? of Joshua. <laughs> and they probably, you know, allegorized it a little bit and read it yeah. as this, like, God can tell me. And, and, right. and not, like, we're up all night thinking, how can I believe in a God who committed genocide? Right. And they probably knew how to pray. They probably went to church most Sundays. They probably gave some money to the church. They probably, mm-hmm. you know, held to a, a basic Judeo-Christian sex ethic and marriage ethic. And if they got a divorce or whatever, they would probably know it was not right. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. this basic set of assumptions. I can make. And now what I'm realizing is between the phone, secularism, and the breakdown of the family, you know, millennials are the first adult generation, that's the byproduct of widespread divorce. Mm-hmm. Between those three things, Woodstock, iPhone, mm-hmm. and sec- all things secularism, man, almost all of those assumptions are off. Right. And it's like a whole other set of assumptions. Like mm-hmm. there is very little rule of life. People probably don't even know what the spiritual disciplines are. The phone has probably absolutely colonized a lot of people's stuff and the secular narratives are probably yeah. assumptions that many even good wonderful smart christian right. people have really been formed by some of these mm. narratives and liturgies so have you seen it produce fruit in your own congregation and then would you is the goal to get back to going to the culture with these people who have been formed by like spiritual formation and then influencing culture or is it more just focusing do you see what i'm saying more just yeah focusing absolutely now on, like, yep. are you going to return to that, that is the going goal. out? Yeah, and I think I think we kind of, I mean, it's always tricky doing this with a church because you have people across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. You have some people in our community that are brand new to following Jesus right. and other people that are 60 years in, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so everybody's at a different place, and that's mm-hmm. the great challenge of just church leadership in general and spiritual formation in a church and why so few people even attempt it in a congregation. Um, so, yeah, that is the end goal. I mean, our, our basic thing is when we look at the Gospels, Jesus called the disciples first just to be with him and sit with him and sit under his teaching and then eventually got to the spot where it was go, you know, make disciples, but there were multiple years in between come and follow me and going into the desert, go into the nations and preach the gospel. And I think we make that jump really fast. Right, right. And, oh, you're a Christian. Great. Go. Right. And I think there was a, a, there's a come before there's a go. Gotcha. Yeah. And so I think we're trying to curate a space 
where people can go through that process and become the kind of people who have a resilience in their discipleship yep. and a, a formation and even a heart, have been kind of moved to a heart of love for people that don't follow Jesus yeah. who can go out. So, you know, we're, we're running these practices. We can chat about that. And a, a handful of them are missional practices, for lack of a better okay. word. Like we yeah. had hospitality last summer. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, basic for three months, we basically yeah. were as a church going out and inviting friends and neighbors that don't follow Jesus to eat around our table with yeah. us, you yeah. know? And this summer we'll do preaching the gospel, and next fall we'll do demonstrating the gospel. Okay, yeah. Which will be a combination right. of justice, work, a lot of the good charismatic stuff around prophecy, mm-hmm. healing, some of that kind of stuff. So, yes, that is definitely the end goal, but it's kind of our, our take on the missional movement, 30,000 feet, was great ideas but cart before the horse for a lot of people. Gotcha, yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe two questions here. Number one, have you seen it actually be... I don't, uh, attractional in a way that people actually are looking for a different lifestyle that's different than maybe the popular culture. So you've seen people actually come in and say, yes. wow, this is a new way of life that I'd yes. actually like to enter into. Yeah, 100%. And it's interesting because it's countercultural. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, it's a lightning rod thing. Like people are like, whoa, 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 I don't want to like mm-hmm. practice the way of Jesus. I just want to ascribe to Christianity. Like there is that minor percentage, but it's not a lot right. of people that are in that right. spot. Yeah, a lot of people that are drawn in. I think lifestyle is a fascinating conversation. Our city in particular it basically exports lifestyle to the world, mm-hmm. and it's not a careerist city for the most part. And so I think that's an interesting thing here. And I do think people are just drowning emotionally, the yeah. level of anxiety, stress, burnout, exhaustion, digital right. distraction. People know they're being manipulated by all things Facebook. Yeah. They know they're being manipulated by their own urges, but they don't really know what to do. And mm-hmm. the culture is not really helpful because it just says be true to yourself. And mm-hmm. But then other companies are trying to be true to you as well, right. you know, by monotonizing your urges. So, yeah, I do think there is a draw, but it is a countercultural draw. Right, you right. Know? So it's not like a self-help kind of draw. Yeah. But I do think there is an ache. People want the life of Jesus. Yeah. And, and I think they're waking up to the reality there's a lifestyle that mm-hmm. comes behind the life mm-hmm. of Jesus. So you, you teach it on it on this up front, and then how do you uh, apply that to your congregation? Is that through small groups? Um, like, how, how do you bring that? And yeah, yeah, see yeah. How do we, how do we pra- actually practice yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So I've had a whole revolution in my thinking around spiritual formation mm-hmm. or just the, the process by which people become more like Jesus. And so that, that has been newer to me the last, you know, five, six, seven years. It's absolutely transformed the way that I follow Jesus, the way that I pastor, the way that I think about what church is and what mm-hmm. church should do and what a pastor should do. So there's, I'm sure, hours of conversation there. But yes, bare minimum, our church model is basically very simple um, it's built around, it's not very unique, but built around Sundays and then home communities that are all neighborhood-based. They share okay. a meal together. There are yeah. 15 or 20 people who all live, you know, close by, who yeah. do a weekly meal together. And basically how we do it is uh, every quarter, so every couple months, we run a, a practice is what we call it. And so some of them are spiritual disciplines, like we've done uh, silence and solitude, Sabbath, prayer, fasting, and, uh, and, you know, we're about to do scripture and simplicity gotcha. and on community. And then a number of them are kind of missional practices, hospitality, preaching the gospel, yeah. demonstrating the right. gospel. And then we have a couple that are kind of emotionally healthy Christian therapy kind of mm-hmm. stuff, like dealing with your past, discovering mm-hmm. your identity and calling, mm-hmm. self-awareness kind of stuff. And basically every couple of months we take a practice and we'll teach on fasting or whatever it is. Yeah. And Sunday works great for us because we have a you know more traditional sermon kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'll I'll curate the best. I give all my best stuff on fasting. You know, right. or the, we'll do, about to start this in a couple of weeks. We'll do scripture and we'll do actually a practice on scripture. And so yep. what does the what does scripture say about scripture? Which right. is really fun. You right. know. And then we'll write up a we call it practice, and it's basically like we don't use the word curriculum, but if you would imagine like small group Bible study materials mm-hmm. updated for millennials in practice form instead of like discussion questions. Mm-hmm. So when those communities get together, there is like a 20 minute discussion time, you know, yeah, right. but it's actually a practice. So for scripture, we're working on it this morning. We'll do four weeks of practice. Week one will be Lectio Divina. Mm-hmm. Week two will be public reading of scripture in large chunks. So they'll yeah. all read through a large chunk of the Bible by themselves. And then when they get together this community, they'll read through Ephesians together in yep. 20 minutes or something like that, right, experiencing right. scripture that way. Week three will be Bible study. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do hermeneutics class, and the week that week will be like, go listen to this podcast, right. and study this passage, and here's some tools. Yeah. And then the final week will be memorization. So okay. they'll memorize the scripture. You know what I mean? So yep. each week, and you're not trying to like get the mastery necessary. You're helping get this into their muscle memory. Yeah. So people expose them to because again, I'm, I'm a, what we're realizing is the spiritual disciplines are our best, you know, caught rather than taught, as mm-hmm. the saying goes. Mm-hmm. And so 
but this is a whole generation that grew up without parents or grew yeah. up without faith heritage. Yeah. So my parents, I have amazing parents. They taught me this stuff. Like I wasn't allowed to have breakfast till I read the Bible in the morning. And <laughs> call that legalistic. I read my Bible every morning, 365 days a year, you know? At the end and of your book, you talk about quiet time. And yeah, it's quiet so, time. It's so interesting because the previous generation, I mean, I was just at this conference with a bunch of older people, basically. And, you know, they're all sitting around having their quiet time. I know. It's a lost art. It's a lost art. <laughs> so what we're realizing, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way at all, is I have a church full of, you know, Portland keeps getting more expensive. Our city is right in the urban core of the city. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just got a, a recent survey back, and a large percentage of our church makes a lot of money. You know, like, you just you have to be semi-professional just to make it in, right. in the city. And so these are mostly upwardly mobile, educated, quasi-sophisticated people. Yeah. And I'm realizing they have almost no rule of life. Their right. phone is running, many of them, and they don't have so little experience with the spiritual discipline. I don't mean that in a condescending way at all. Mm -hmm. They're smart. They're thoughtful. Their heart's amazing. Um, but if you don't have a rule underneath all mm -hmm. of it, you'll just get eaten alive by the city. So I'm basically having to teach, like, sophisticated 30-year-olds what right now I'm teaching my 10-year-old daughter. Right. Like, this is how you pray. Right. This is yeah. how yeah. you do community. Mm -hmm. This is how you engage with church. Right. This is how you get yourself ready for church. This right. is what worship by singing is. Yeah. This is why we do it. This is just parenting stuff. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way. Like, yeah. I'm smart. I just mean, like, they literally, yeah. they're smart. They'll get yeah. it fast. Mm -hmm. But they're new to it. They So we're literally right. having to teach Sabbath, fasting, mm -hmm. prayer, scripture, from the ground up. This right. is how you read the Bible. That's what the early church did. You catechesis. Know? Catechesis, yep. which is what we're coming back to. You know, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. we keep changing our thing on baptism, keeps changing. And mm. where, we're, yeah, where we're getting to is really, right now I'm working on a 32-week, year-long new believers course that would end with baptism. And it's nice. so funny. Like yeah. I never would have thought that way right. 10 years ago. That's stupid. Right. I thought a three-week course was ridiculous. Like, <laughs> you know? And now you have 32 weeks. And now I'm thinking like a year. You need a year before. I mean, the early church, they do like, De demonic deliverance before right. like you had to have the demons cast out of you before you could get baptized mm -hmm. and now in portland we're dealing deliverance ministry all the time mm -hmm. and i'm realizing oh my gosh that would be that makes sense all of a sudden in our culture right. like right. every person before baptism elders sit down with them and are there any yeah. demons we need to deliver you from right <laughs> you know it's so crazy but that's yeah. the pastoral reality right i mean as you read more in the new testament i just am increasingly convinced that what we're seeing in the New Testament it matches more of the post-Christian culture. So a lot of it's making it's a lot. It's just so helpful. It's actually more confusing when you live in a Christian culture to read the New Testament. Yes. Because it's like, what's going on here versus there? And yep. it lines up. So much of it makes so much sense. The yep. combination of high spiritual reality, mm -hmm. both, secu both you know, demonic and yes. Holy yep. Spirit, and the combination of just moral, like all over the place. Sure. How, how do you do that? In yeah. That? Okay, we're going to take a little break. Great. And then we're going to jump into your book. So Done. Let's do a break. My name is Kevin Miller, and I'm in the Theophilus program here at Western Seminary working on my MDiv. Two things I really love about the Theophilus program. First is the cohort-style learning. Uh, I have come to love and really cherish my time with the people in my cohort. I've been in the program for nine months now, and it's one of my favorite things about being a part of the classes. Second thing I really love about Theophilus is the emphasis on practical application. So whatever we're learning, whether it be uh, hermeneutics or theology, uh, it's always being applied. How does this affect people in our ministry context? Western Seminary serves as a catalyst and resource for spiritual transformation by providing with and for the church advanced training for strategic ministry roles. If you're interested in learning more about Western or starting your application, visit us online at westernseminary.edu. Now back to the show. Okay, welcome back. So this is Food Trucks in Babylon. So we always ask our guests, uh, tell us about a food truck that you've been enjoying or food that you've been enjoying. It doesn't have to be out, but, you know, we like to give good recommendations in case people are looking for For them. food when they come into Portland? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I don't have a food truck that I'm all jazzed on right now, um, but there's a new restaurant in town called Han Oak. Have you been there yet? Mm -hmm. And it was the best dining experience I've had in quite a while. What type of food? Very good. It's Korean. Okay. And it's like a really cool space, like r amazing Korean family, mm. multi-generational. And it's like they live there yep. and it's like cool, but like mm -hmm. not not posh, you know, yep. at all. Yep. And they, if you can go there in nice weather, 
Um, so not right now, but we went there for the first time in this just a couple months ago before the weather turned, and it was like your indoor outdoor, right? And oh, I love it, that. And stuff. the food was just yep. excellent. Yeah, and there's just not a lot of Korean food in the city. Yep. yep. And so Hanok, it was a little spendy, Hanok. but okay. not crazy. Downtown, a little spendy. No, it's right on inner northeast. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something about Portland and the um, the unique restaurants. Like I walked by a Thai place, and somebody was telling me about. They're like they live upstairs, and they only order so much food. And once they're out, they're just out. They're and out. They shut down. Yeah. And you know, for some reason, I'm so like, ooh, I gotta go rad. there. Then. I know. Like, <laughs> Why all is the that? Mystique around it. Oh goodness. <laughs> just like they just shut their doors because we ran out. But they're like, it's so good. It's so cool. And I'm like, what? Well, that's oh, I'm such a Portlander now that I'm like, yes, I must go to this I must place. Go. Okay. Well, let's talk about your book. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, this just came out in the last few months, right? Yeah, a month ago. A month ago? Great. Mm-hmm. So what led you to write about this? Um, so my initial thought, you addressed it, but uh, the thing that we need to get rid of is not hurry so much, but it's sex, pornography, uh, por- uh, greed, mm-hmm. right? Liberalism, yeah, something like that. Why is hurry such a big deal? Yeah, I mean, I, that, some of that comes out to my experience just in planting and then leading a mega church and the attractional model mm-hmm. and, then, and then even the missional thing as well after that, which is different, but similar in that it was exhausting and just the harrowing, like what that does, whether you have a large church or a small church, mm-hmm. culture in general has just sped up to this insane pace. Yeah. And, you know, and so, yeah, I got, and, and you know, church work is a black hole. If you, like, there's no, there's no moment at the day when I'm done. Right. There's no, like, I got yeah. my stuff done For and sure. now there's nobody else that wants anything from me. Yeah, you're never off. From me. You're never off. You're never yep. done. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have some really healthy, like, I don't know, boundaries is the right word, mm-hmm. or rhythms and practices or, It'll eat you your know, life. Yeah. It will just, it will just take you. Yeah. Take you. Right. And it's so easy in ministry to do the right thing for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. you know, because you're doing good stuff. Yeah. But you can be fully motivated by ego, ambition, greed, you know, colonization, domineering, patriarchy. Right. I mean, you can be motivated by all sorts of really dark stuff. But what you're doing is like planting a church or teaching a right. sermon series or leading a small group, you know. Right. right. So that makes it easy to deceive yourself mm-hmm. and it makes it easy to overwork and do things that don't have Jesus call or the Spirit's blessing. And to call it, I'm serving Jesus, when often you're just serving your own ego. Mm-hmm. And so I know that from personal experience. Yeah, yeah. So I think some of it was that, and then just the culture of busyness. And it's just, it's really easy to get sucked in. And so I think I'm, you know, quintessential kind of millennial burnout, you know, yeah. quarter-life crisis kind of story. Yeah. Which is surprisingly common mm-hmm. now, or not mm-hmm. surprisingly. No, yeah. I was just, we had somebody over and they work in the secular workforce. And yeah. just, I'm just taking a year off because yeah. I can't handle this it's anymore. It's becoming the norm. People just yep. can't handle the stress, the, the pace of life. She was talking about being present with her kids. And I was mm-hmm. just like, wow, this is really yeah. interesting. And again, yeah. some non-Christian. Some back to the phone. Yep. It's just encroached on everything. Yep. So there's no yep. more like mm-hmm. work and life separate yeah. spheres. Everything she, is everywhere. She now. wasn't a Christian. She was talking a lot to the things that you were speaking of, really? which is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, yeah it's a culture-wide conversation, not just a yeah. Christian conversation. I think it really matters for Christians in particular. But even mm-hmm. if I was a secular Buddhist, yeah, I think I'd be interested in this topic. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, I came a number of years ago when I was right, kind of coming out of this like Christ quarter-life crisis, existential. What is church? What is mm-hmm. life? You know, the realization now at this point I'm in my early 30s, and I'm realizing that my spiritual formation is stalled out that I'm not a more Christ-like person than I was three years ago. Right. And that's something I have to take seriously. And actually, I'm getting more and more stressed out and unhealthy and distracted. So if anything, I feel less Christ-like as defined by, you know, Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit right, right. than I was. And so, okay, so we're, we've at best we've stalled out. At worst, I'm in decline now. Mm-hmm. So something has to change. And in that time period, I came across, uh, I've had the privilege of spending a little time with John Ortberg, who's mm-hmm. a pastor that I adore, a generation ahead of me. And, you know, he tells that story about his mentor, Dallas Willard, who mm-hmm. Willard's writings outside of the New Testament basically have had a deeper impact on me at every level, theologically, yeah. psychologically, you know, um, than, in, than anyone else. There's yeah. a couple other key thinkers that have really shaped me too, Tim Mackey, mm-hmm. uh, N.T. Wright, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Chris Wright, a couple other key thinkers, Gary Bashirs. Um, but Willard, really his work, which is mostly about discipleship, has, has said, I think, the deepest impact on me after right. the New Testament itself. And uh, and he tells, Ortberg tells this story about an inter- a conversation with Willard where Willard said to Ortberg years ago when he was getting sucked into just kind of the busyness of life, mm-hmm. you know, and was asking, how do I not get sucked into all the church stuff? 
what I need to do. And Willard just had these two very simple lines. He said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our mm-hmm. day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from okay. your life. Yeah, that's And good. that was a, just a weird, yeah. I, I had kind of a two equal and opposite reactions to that. My mind kind of thought it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like hurry. Right. Like, I mean, like, not you know, in the I'm fruit in of the spirit, not yeah. in the works of the flesh. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I don't know what I would have named if you would have asked me prior to that, like, what's the greatest challenge to following Jesus in Portland? Right. Right. I don't know what I would have said. Yeah. Porn or right. pot or yep. liberal theology mm-hmm. or you know, conservative theology or I don't know what I would have said. Right. Right. But hurry would not have even been on the list, much yeah. less at the top. Yeah. But the longer I've sat with Willard's thesis, the more I have come to the conviction that he was actually spot. And it's, you know, he says that mm-hmm. as a philosopher from the University of Southern California who yeah. was deeply steeped in secular narratives and yep. was doing a lot of work to combat them, but he still saw hurry as an even greater threat than. Mm. Darwinian materialism. Is it because or, you know, it's like the foundation from which the fruits of the spirit must grow? Is that, yeah, is that kind of what you're... It's connected to time and it's connected to attention. Yeah. If you don't have time and if you don't have the capacity to pay attention, you basically can't have a spiritual life at all. Gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, for people to follow Jesus, it's a relationship. Relationships mm-hmm. demand time and demand mm-hmm. attention. For me to have a healthy relationship with my wife, it requires daily time together, mm-hmm. weekly elongated times together, and mm-hmm. it requires the capacity for me to pay attention to her and her to pay attention to me and us to give each other love through attention. Right, right. If we don't have time together or the few times that we are together, we're on our phones constantly and we don't mm-hmm. know how to actually listen to each other and have a conversation, our marriage would die before we could even ever do anything to make it good or bad. It just wouldn't right. even exist. Right. And so I think like the pre-work before you can even get to any kind of spiritual life is you have to have time that is dedicated to sit with God and let him love you. And you have to have the capacity to pay attention, which is a massive society-wide problem right now. It's affecting everything from politics to economic theory to prayer. Right. As our attention span is, and this is all documented, mm-hmm. you know, is, is rapidly in decline. Right now it's at eight seconds, like is the average attention span for a millennial. Like, how, how do you have a spiritual life at all mm. if you have an attention span of eight seconds? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. And so, um, so yes, I think... Hurry was eight like... Eight-second videos. Eight-second podcasts. That's, that's the next thing. It's a, it's a, exactly. It'll be really quick. It'll be really easy to do. <laughs> Jesus is awesome. Done. Out. Good. Thanks for having All me right. on. That's episode 52. Buy on my to book. the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down. Buy my book. Bye. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, and that was, you know, part of getting into the spiritual formation thing as a church. A key moment for me. Mm-hmm. So one key moment was hearing that story. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And, and having it strike. My mindset, that's kind of ridiculous, but at a gut level, I just had this instant, like... Resonance with reality. Just it rang so true to my experience as a follower of Jesus and as a pastor. Yeah. Another key moment was before we launched, kind of re-architected our church around spiritual formation and practices. Mm-hmm. And we came up with this whole, we just call a working theory of change, which is our best synthesis of biblical theology and the best of Christian mm-hmm. psychology, our best understanding of, all right, you know, Matthew chapter six says, do not worry. Right. How do people actually become people that don't worry? Yeah. Like, how do you yeah. go from exegetical command to biblical right. practice? Jesus' whole thing in Matthew 28, which was revolutionary for me, um, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Yeah. I had like an encounter with God one day as I was reading that. And I realized, oh, wow, I don't actually teach people to obey what Jesus commanded them. I teach people what Jesus commanded them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And business parlance is the difference between the what and the how. Right, right. And I realized, oh, wow, it's one thing to teach people what the Bible says. That's key. That's crucial. You have right. to do that. Yeah. But it's another thing to teach people how to become the kind of people who have the capacity to live the Bible and let it just flow naturally really out of their being yeah. in spirit with God. Yeah. And so that was like a whole new, I, I was pretty proficient in the what. Western mm-hmm. Seminary was super helpful in the what, mm-hmm. but I had almost nothing to say on the how right and or i made a set of assumptions and so on and so right. forth so i all think that, it's usually assumed yes it's thing. largely yep. assumed and yep. that would be my only critique of seminar mm-hmm. I had a fantastic experience but mm-hmm. that was never really on the radar right it was just kind of assumed yeah you you get good bible good theology and None of preach us are good any good sermons at that. and how you know, the how we the just how. say what totally <laughs> and, and i don't even mean that as a critique i just no. mean that as it, no i think it can be even wow. though we actually do focus on spiritual formation yes western is big on that but it is something that's just easily overlooked. I mean, I've noticed that even with um, teaching hermeneutics application. Yes. We usually leave it for like the last 30 minutes. And you apply it. And, and apply see it. you later. Da, da, da. All right. It's like the, that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. And, and not just apply it like, and, and a lot of the apply it stuff is like willpower based. Yep. So like mm-hmm. ask you to do all the exegesis, you do all the hermeneutics, great. Yep. Now go do it. Yep. Apply it means go yep. do it. Not like 
how do you craft a rule of life and habits totally. of Jesus that make you into the kind of person yep. who just naturally does this when it's required? It just flows out of the yep. interior being that's been transformed. And even the application, we usually just go to principalize it. So totally. love, so that means go love. Go love people. But there's but, no... But like, I'm not a loving person and I hate my dad and right. I've been deeply wounded right. by my ex-spouse. Right. So yep. how do I become a exactly. loving person? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, so... When I so we came up with this whole working theory, it, this was like one of the one of the outside of like some great moments in seminary. This was like one of the biggest like aha learning, mm-hmm. you know, like mind blown paradigm shifting. I'm reading all these books. It's mostly new information to me. I'm reading psychology and neurobiology and Christian tradition, and it's just it's so invigorating. Mm-hmm. So we came up with this basically working theory of change that we've since rebuilt our entire church around. And um, before we did anything with the church, I sat down with a PhD in town, psychologist, Christian psychologist that I really respect in his 70s, very well respected. And I basically just gave him the spiel and wanted him to just critique it, shred it, give input, you know, mm-hmm. basically tear this thing apart. Like, right. what do you think of this? This is our understanding of how people grow and mature to become more like Jesus and kind of move from exegetical Bible study to loving people, or yeah, whatever the thing right. is. Shred it. And he basically was really positive on the theory. But then at the end, he said, and it's just, this was a really haunting moment for me. He said, the number one problem you will face is time. Mm. And he said, people are just too busy, basically, to live the way of Jesus. Yeah. And um, that was his experience after Mm. 40-something years as a psychologist. Yep. Was, man, the main problem isn't that people aren't smart enough. It's Mm. not that there aren't enough books on it. It's not that people are rebellious or obstinate of heart. It's that people just don't have the time. They're too busy. Yeah. To actually do the things that make for life mm-hmm. in the kingdom. So is this book trying to get people to slow down? Yes, that's the whole so the whole agenda is basically yeah. I've spent five years trying to yeah. radically reorder my life to slow it down yeah. to an unhurried kind of presence yeah. life that's really built around abiding. Right. And um, I'm very much in process and it's wicked hard to do when you have yeah. a family and you live in a city and you have a phone and you have a job and yeah. it's super hard. Right. And so it's not like a silver bullet, but it's basically my pastoral and personal attempt. To for like what Scazzaro calls a slowdown spirituality. Yeah. So you give what is it four practices: silence, solitude, Sabbath, yeah. simplicity, and slowing. slowing. Yeah, yeah. At the end, I just I just highlight four spiritual disciplines, mm-hmm. basically in particular. We call them practices, but same yep. thing. Yeah. That I think are especially effective in combating the hurry, overload, busyness, digital distraction, materialism, overwhelm. Yep. That just speeds us up to this pace. And the basic these the very simple thesis of the book is that hurry is incompatible with love. Yeah. You know? That's where it clicked for me Yeah, when I read that part. Hurry, hurry pe- and love. Yep. Because I was people like... people are not in... Yeah. And if you define spiritual life as your capacity... I, you can't I, love people. You hurry. can't love people, including God, or yeah. being loved right. by God. Right, right. So my... I don't, I tell me you think of this. Maybe it's terrible as you're the, you're the smart professor, but my working definition right now of spiritual life... Because we hear that phrase a lot in mm-hmm. Portland, inside and outside the church, so it kind of doesn't mean much anymore. Right. So how I've been defining it, spiritual life is your capacity to receive and give love mm. in relationship to God and other people. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, like that. At, by that definition, a relational, formational definition of spirituality, that's mm-hmm. both God and other people. Yeah. That hurry is incompatible with that. Yeah. To be loved by God and to become a person who's loving toward God and others. Right. That, you can't hurry. It just does not compute with that. Yeah, yeah. So the the silence and solitude, first I'd love to ask just what does that look like in your life? And then second, um, can you do some of these practices, oh, well, I guess that practice, with others as well? Yeah. Because some of it, I was like, well, is, is some of this individualistic? Mm-hmm. The, the scriptures call us to gather, and then we actually meet God with one another, 100%. so forth and so on. So yeah. how, how do you think through that? Yeah, absolutely. And that would be a very valid critique. And again, I'm not trying to cover the full breadth right. of everything. Yep. I'm just highlighting a couple of the things that I found enormously helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think more people have a, a Sunday church gathering in their rule of life or in their kind of regular, the way they follow Jesus, than do have regular quiet prayer. Right. And so that's maybe why I would highlight that, that one and yeah, not yeah. the other. Right, right, you right. Know, yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. You're just pushing on the one that needs more Yeah, work. exactly, that yeah. I feel has yeah. been mm-hmm. lost or swallowed up by the phone mm-hmm. or whatever the thing is, you know. Um, yeah, we're actually really trying to incorporate a lot of this in our Sunday gatherings, things like making our Sunday gatherings device-free, you know, yeah, and right. handing out 
Bible, Bibles. You guys do times of silence. In yeah, we're service? doing times of silence, yep. doing times of listening. Mm-hmm. You know, this new building, we don't know if it'll happen, but we're toying with like, you know, if you go to a Muslim mosque, there's like cubbies at the beginning where you put your shoes in. Right. And the idea is different religion, but you know, it's like a sacred space. And yeah. so you don't want to, and so we're thinking about like doing a wall for all the phones where you'd like mm-hmm. check out like a coat check system, <laughs> you know, you like turn in your iPhone and, and come in. So yeah. I'm like, but seriously, we're doing everything we can. Right. You know, the gatherings are, are not somber, but they're more and more quiet, trying to curate a Sabbath yeah, space. And, yeah. and actually, our gatherings keep getting longer. It's so interesting. So many churches are going shorter and shorter, which I have no issue with that. But our gatherings are almost two hours long. Mm. And um, I, I and even some of the really attractional, like Hillsong gatherings, are a couple hours long. Mm. Like you go to church at Hillsong, it's, that's your night. Yeah. And I, I think in the phone era, it's becoming one of the only places where people can actually get free of their phone and encounter yeah, God. right. And so, yeah, we're trying to curate those pieces, spaces together. The together problem is two hours on Sunday versus yeah, the seven of, days of the week, right. it just gets decimated. Yeah. So yeah. people don't have daily times yep. of quiet and prayer, both alone and with community. Yeah. I think a lot is lost. Yeah. I, two years ago, I floated down the Colorado River on the Grand Canyon. Wow. And, you know, no service of anything, laying on this oh. cot, looking up at the stars. And I don't, when I was doing it, I remember thinking, because you had to go to bed when it was dark, nothing else to do. I just remember laying there looking at the stars, nothing above me, because you don't need a tent. It's like perfect weather down there. Wow. And uh, I was like, man, I have not just laid here and done nothing for so long. long." And I think I was like, I need counseling right now. (laughs) Because like my mind started going, you know what I mean? And all the stuff that's in you comes to the surface. Yeah, exactly. And it's actually a a really safe and beautiful place to deal with all the stuff that comes up. The emotions, the thoughts, the anger. Yep. That's a that's the place to deal with it. Yep. In the quiet or with a close friend. And I noticed my hand going for like the phone, you know, in the yeah. phone to like distract me. Phantom vibration syndrome. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about that. It. Actually, yeah. we had Drew Johnson. Do you know that name? He does a bunch on um, like ritual and liturgy. Oh, and he wow. was talking about that too, where you feel yeah. your phone buzz. It's like an official <laughs> neurological thing now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Anyway. Yeah, and what happens yeah. when you don't have those quiet moments you know, and not just once in your lifetime, but on a mm-hmm. regular basis, is mm-hmm. all that stuff, all the pain, all the anger, all the doubt, whatever it is for each person, it's in you. Yeah, right. And it will come out, but it will likely leak out in unhealthy or even toxic ways. Right, right. I mean, look at all these pastor blow-ups that we keep seeing over the last five right. years that have nothing to do with theology for the most part. I mean, you could argue that yeah. this theological persuasion yeah. shapes them in this way. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And a yeah. complementarian thing means it's often not women, and so can right. you. You know, you could, you could make yeah. that kind of case. But at the end of the day... This, the problem was not necessarily theology. This is orthodox. Mm-hmm. This was, the problem was really, man, toxic stuff leaking out of yeah. people. Yep. He's captain. What would have happened if this person had Sabbath and community mm-hmm. and daily quiet to just yeah. process this stuff before God and yeah. a paradigm for soul care and formation? Right. How much of this could have been avoided? Sure. You know? So Sabbath, what does Sabbath look like in your life? Oh, man, best day of my week. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, because Sunday for us. Um, not Tuesdays because you're here. Yeah, not Tuesday. I'm here. <laughs> no, we Sabbath. Actually, not out of not out of biblical exegetical reasons, but we, we practice the traditional Friday night okay. yep. through Saturday yep. evening. Just because Sunday for us, we have three gatherings on Sunday. You can't really. Yeah. It's not possible. I'm just not going to be here on Sundays anymore. Yeah, it, it, would, it would be, it's not restful. <laughs> it just, it's wonderful, but it's yeah, not yeah. restful for me. Right, right. So, um, yeah, and our kids are old enough now. We want them to participate. Yeah, in yeah, Saturday works. Long. So, yep. yeah, and starting at night has been a game changer for okay. us for all sorts of reasons. Yep. And you see why that's the, the, the tradition started at night mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. for many millennia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes sense. You do a meal, you said in your yeah, book. Yeah, start with, we do, we do like the kiddish. We do like a light version of yeah. candles and right. we pour the wine and I bless the kids and we read a psalm and then we have a massive feast and mm-hmm. sit around the table. All of our devices, so we practice digital Sabbath. So for so all Saturday, hours, no di- everything's devices. Off. Oh, nothing. No movies. Nothing. We don't even, yeah. No TV. Nothing. nothing no like TV, okay. no phones, no iPads. Everything is off. Yeah. No shopping. And again, it's not rules. It's yeah, more yeah. like it, it's we say no to a number of things in order to really say yes to mm-hmm. delight, eating, time together, yeah. time in worship the quiet. Do you say worship and rest were the two kind of creates? Yeah, I mean, the four categories. Yeah, worship and rest is the simplest one. The four categories I've been using is just like the the four different translations of Shabbat in mm-hmm. different English translations. I've been using stop, stop, rest, delight, worship. Gotcha. And those as, as the kind of four movements of Sabbath. Mm-hmm. It's about stopping, it's about resting, it's about delighting, and it's yep. about worshiping. Yeah. 
So the, can I ask you a few theological yeah. questions about Shoot. Sabbath? Yeah, Just, go. I'd love Uh-oh. to hear what you okay. think. Yeah. So some would argue, and this is not me, but yeah, no, some would ahead. argue that um, Sabbath was the sign of the covenant for the Mosaic covenant. Mm-hmm. So we're no longer under the Mosaic covenant. Yep. Like, do we, are we, do we have to practice Sabbath? Is this something that is commanded? Is this just a good way of life that has been um, handed down to us, tradition bias by Jewish people throughout time? How do you think through in terms of like, what, what are you calling people to do? Is this like, yeah, you should, you must um, do this in a church. You should do this. How yeah, often? I think my, you know, low level of certainty opinion is that it still stands as a binding, binding command. Okay but that it's assumed in the New Testament and Paul is dealing with ethnic and missiological challenges that it presents in a Greco-Roman context. And that's why it doesn't come through very clearly. But I recognize that's a minority position and I don't have any dogmatism around that. I wouldn't teach that. When I teach it, I teach it as it's wisdom for sure. Some people think it's still a binding command. Most don't. I'm the minority that think it is. But either way, it doesn't really matter to me because I'm I'm, this Friday, I'm going to have so my whole thing is it predates Mosaic Covenant. It, so it's Genesis 2. It totally and again, that, that gets into your hermeneutic yeah. of Pentateuch and all that kind of stuff. No, no. It's based on Genesis 2. It's based on Genesis 2. Yeah. Exodus. They in Exodus. Not yeah. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy yeah. is based on the Exodus. But mm-hmm. in the in the Exodus version of the Ten Commandments, it, it's rooted in Sabbath. And it's in it's before Mosaic Code, too. It's yeah. in uh, Exodus 16, is it? You know, where they're out in the mm-hmm. desert. Yeah, that's right. The manna story. The manna, yeah, yeah. yeah they, and, they don't pick up. And that's yep. pre-Ten mm-hmm. Commandments, much less pre... Right. And I, I, I'm fascinated by Selhammer's take on Torah and yep. I'm not sure if it's right but it, I really like it and his whole mm-hmm. deal like it keeps laws keep getting added as they yeah. you know break the, the story inter- interspersed through Torah so either way I think that Genesis presents us an image of a rhythm of work and rest yeah. and this seven day and why does all the science every human yeah. tradition yeah. every religious tradition every human civilization has landed on a seven day right. week right. and a need for and there's so much science religion ethics theology mm-hmm. that is all come to this place of every seven days, your body and your soul needs a rest. So I think that that is woven into the fabric of creation. It's Mm -hmm. the H.H. Farmer line, you know, you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. So, you know, the Bible, the New Testament doesn't command you not to eat concrete. Right. God's probably not (laughs) mad at you if you eat concrete. It's just stupid to eat concrete. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I don't think it's wise Uh to to work without a Sabbath and rest, you know? And but so when Jesus says he's Lord of the Sabbath, 100%. he's just saying, I fulfill this. Look at me yeah, for the well, true rest. I think the reason Sabbath gets a bad rap, again, this is just my opinion here. I'm not a professor. But I think the reason it gets a bad rap is because Jesus is interacting with a, a culture that had the opposite problem to we do around mm. the Sabbath. So their problem right. was pharisaical. They were hyper-legalistic. Yeah. They completely lost the plot steps, line. So it had become so. borderline racist. It had right. become like a, an ethnic division, which I think mm-hmm. was part of the function in Torah. But it become this. It, it become this who's who and who's in and who's out and class distinction and ethnic distinction, mm-hmm. and it was legalistic and they'd lost the plot line. It's like the stories you hear people that grew up in these like super legalistic homes and they hated Sunday because they couldn't sing or right. laugh or right, right, run. Right. You know, and you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, you <laughs> lost the plot line. And you're like, six year old, stop running. It's the Sabbath. You know. Right. So I think he's talking to that kind of a culture. So he's yeah. beating up on the legalism yeah. of it, but yet right, right. he's practicing Sabbath as he's beating up yeah. on the legalism. Right. Right. And I don't, I don't, read him a true I, don't Sabbath see, is. Yes, I don't see him yeah. doing anything to annul or abrogate the Sabbath right, personally. Right. So I think the problem is most millennials or even just Americans, even boomers have the opposite problem. It's not that they're mm-hmm. hyper legalistic. It's right. about the Sabbath is that they don't have any don't laws do at all. They don't yeah. have a concept, a day off a little bit. Yeah. Even like I'm old enough that I had like a Lord's day theology. So mm-hmm. Sabbath wasn't remotely on the radar in my right. church tradition, right. but Sunday was the Lord's Sunday day. Was the Lord's day. And yeah. it wasn't like a, it wasn't nearly what my kids are experiencing mm-hmm. with this idea of Sabbath and a day of delight and eating together mm-hmm. and family and friends and like walking was the dog. It was a it different day. That. Yeah. But there was this concept of like, this is a day that we give to the Lord's day. I remember yeah. we we wouldn't watch movies on Saturday night because yeah. it was like we're preparing our hearts for worship in yeah, the morning. Yeah, yeah, you know? oh, that's my house. So that's sure. amazing. Yeah. But that that's gone now. And yep. now church mm-hmm. is like maybe every third Sunday I'll, I'll fit it in between doing laundry and binge watching Netflix, <laughs> The Crown season three after church, you know? Yeah. So, and again, I don't mean that in a condescending way. I right. mean, we don't even have that theology m- much left anymore. Right. So I think that's that, you know, my whole thing is the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Jesus 
de- generation needed to hear the second half gotcha. of that. Yeah. Our generation needs to hear the first half. Yeah. Like the Sabbath was made for man. It was created yeah. for humanity. Mm-hmm. It was like actually made by God as a gift, as a blessing in Genesis. I'm guessing for most people, if they're going to church, Sunday would be the day that would most naturally for fit most their people, life. Because I'm just absolutely. thinking about our kids' sports, Saturday, yeah. And Sunday's work. the closest thing in a city to where there's not a lot going on yeah. Sunday Chick-fil-A's morning. Chick-fil-A's closed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> closed that Kanye's Kanye got a song about it now. So. Yeah, We're good. Right. My kids um, love that way too much. Yeah. <laughs> My kids do like we can listen to a rap record. <laughs> okay, we're almost out of time, but you had some great advice about phones. Can you just give oh, me like yeah. some, give me a few things? Maybe I should just tell you what I found helpful. But oh, g- no, give go. me a few tell, things tell like about phones that you you think we should do Chase with our phones you. to get us away from our phones. Oh, I, well, big picture there. I mean, I think I think you know. Um, I just did a sermon on this that I is a little pretentious, but I entitled it The Case for Digital Asceticism. Mm-hmm. And I basically talked about where asceticism came from in the fourth century and yeah. you know, and then into Benedictine spirituality and his rule of life and how it was a response to these twin problems of the decline of the Roman Empire, decline of culture and the yeah. corruption and compromise of the church as, uh, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the church was legalized under Constantine and how they responded with like this. This is the barbarian. Really rigorous. No, this, is the, this is the barbarian. <laughs> totally. This is the digital barbarian. You yeah, know? Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. like the digital Visigoth. Right. You right. Know? <laughs> and so I just kind of made the case for why I think we're in a similar moment of both cultural decline and church compromise. Mm-hmm. And the response needs to be like a really rigorous and even ascetic at some point yeah. pursuit of prayer, really. Yeah, right. And per- per- pursuit of spiritual formation. And so I think that has to take into account a phone. So a couple of my best practices, again, not mm-hmm. nothing in the Bible about yeah, what you right. can and can't do with your no, phone. No, it's, it's just all it's wisdom advice. and opinion, yeah. advice. Yeah, it would be digital Sabbath, so turning mm-hmm. off your phone for 24 hours or yeah. whatever you're up for yeah. once a week. You said in the book, like, try to do 24 hours and yeah. see how you do. And not, it, it did raise some, like, okay, that would be tough. I mean, if you can do four hours, that's a huge win yep. for most people, yep. you know? If you can yep. do four minutes for some people, that's a huge <laughs> win. So start where you're at. Seriously, if that's yeah. where you're at, start there yeah. and, and start yeah. with an hour or whatever, yeah. you know? Um, another one that's really big for me is the idea of, like, parenting your phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Andy really Crouch, helpful. I think, you used the language first. Mm. Basically meaning, do you have kids, Patrick? Mm-hmm. How Four old kids. Are they? How Nine old? to two. Nine to two. So yep. they're at their age. I'm mm-hmm. guessing that, you know, they all go to bed before you mm-hmm. and your wife. Yep. And they get up after you. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> That's just basic, yeah. you know, parenting Our son likes to get up at 6.30 now. Uh, and I'm like, so what we did when our kids were little is we got the, we got them an alarm clock. And before they could even read, we taught them the number <laughs> seven. Yeah, yeah, and we put it next to their that. bed and we said, you can't get out of bed until there's a, a, a straight line that, and a diagonal I, line. <laughs> My sister, who has kids younger than me, she just apparently they make this new one where it, like, it changes color. Changes color, yeah. Green, yeah. go. Exactly. Scri- red, stop. And so it's like they're not out of, out of bed until it's I green. Know, I'm I like, know. oh, that's, that's a fantastic. So, but that's just like kind of parenting 101, yeah. you know? And so I think parent your phone is just basically do the same thing with your phone. So we put yeah. our phones to bed, so to speak, at 8.30 every night. They don't sleep next to us. They're yeah. in a separate room, plugged in, charging. Do you and actually then, wake up to a real alarm clock? Yeah, we went out pass. and got old school alarm yeah. clocks. They're hard to find now. Yeah. yeah, well, Amazon, you know. That's true. Oppressing I went to Walmart one time worker. and the, the, the shelf was literally it's like literally, one shelf. It's like clock. one shelf, yeah. <laughs> so we went out and got, I mean, because like, the stats on that. They didn't know it was coming. 76% of Americans sleep with the phone next to their bed. 93% of Americans check their phone first thing upon waking. Mm-hmm. Neuroscientists tell us about neurogenesis, like what happens to the brain when you're sleeping is like the most important of the day for your brain, both emotional and mental health and intelligence and IQ. And they say the two, as I understand the science, the two most important times for your brain are what you think about before you go to sleep and what you think about Mm. when you first wake up. Mm. So think about what happens to a whole generation where the last thing they think about before they go to sleep is basically soft porn and violence on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And the first thing they think about when they wake up is a tweet from Donald Trump and an outraged tweet in response and a news tsunami or disaster that happened and a text from their boss or something they forgot and Instagram where everybody looks cooler and beautiful and more famous than they are. And, oh my gosh, I forgot to do this thing. And then shopping. Like if that's people's first experience of the day like what is that doing to rewire the brain For sure very far from philippians chapter four's vision of yeah. whatever is good and noble and pure right. and right right and, you know right. gratitude and joy yeah so i think yeah stuff like that is is huge yeah your line about email begets more email yeah that absolutely. was like rev- i mean i you know and you've been say on the things. receiving end where i haven't emailed you back for a week so sorry <laughs> see how much you actually like but that. like i i realized that and then you said something about when you come back from vacation Yes. You can get it done so quickly. Yes. Because everything's solved. Everything's solved. And know, so I, just, I took off email from my phone after reading that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. great. Yeah. Because I was off, like, get it off your phone. Yeah. Because I get email. I mean, I do have a job that I have to respond to students. Yep. I have to mm-hmm. be on top of it. 
but, but not I, I every need, minute. I don't need it on my phone. Twice a day or whatever yep. you need to do. Yep. yep. We'll see I, how long it lasts. I've just started so doing, you come and back it, on. it's taking more discipline than I am having, but I am I read Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Asian. I read his deep work. So what I've been trying yeah. to do since then is, I think he calls it text message bundling. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to do all of my text messages twice a day at 11 nice. and at 5. Yep. And then in between, if I'm like, like I just texted you right before this, like mm-hmm. where are we meeting? Yep. You know what I mean? Because yep. I didn't know where to meet you or whatever. Right. I can text people for like, you know. Yeah situational emergencies like this or work stuff when I'm working and I need to actually get something for work done. But the other text, like I have a whole queue of text messages right now on my phone that after this meeting before community dinner tonight, I will sit and I'll answer all the text messages <laughs> and then I'll put it away. Yeah, yeah. And then, cause it's the same thing. Text messages, beget text messages, totally. beget emoji, beget That's thumbs up. That's the other thing then, I turned beget, off. Hey, da, 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 so da, I, da. I've turned off all notifications except I had text and phone yep. and calls. Yep. And I turned off the text notification in light of that, and, but I kept the phone because my wife's like, emergencies, I got to be able yeah. to call you, the funny which thing, makes sense. The funny thing is, you know, um, <clears throat> if you do all the deep dive on technology, there's most of the device, the technology stuff now is 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 malevolent. It's intentionally mm-hmm. engineered right. to distract you and exactly. you. Some of it is accidental, like text messaging, like even Steve Jobs, depending on how, you know, how much you want to villainize him, the idea of a phone and an iPad pod together that does text messaging mm-hmm. that sounds like a great idea right if that's all my iphone was i'd love it i'd yeah. be wait i wouldn't be preaching against it you right. know right but and so text messaging is one of those like they say it's accidentally messing people up and it's mm-hmm. creating flakiness in culture right. it's creating right. porn problems it's creating sexual abuse problems but it wasn't engineered for that purpose yeah right. whereas other things like the like button or scrolling or gotcha. you know digital Data this harvesting. is like the story of the law in the Old these Testament. Things are actually Some of these things are good, and then we just twist them. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we've got to stop because we've been going. This has been a lot of fun, though. Oh, John Mark, thanks so much well, for coming by. so nice to just spend some time with you. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Food Trucks in Babylon. The music you hear is provided by our friends at Humble Beast Records. If you like the show, please leave us a review and feel free to subscribe. To learn more about Western Seminary, visit us at westernseminary.edu. 